with not your truth or kindness, Lord. With not your truth or kindness, Lord. Thank you for tuning into the Notice Podcast, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice Podcast explores our need to be noticed through biblical musings and conversations with special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. On this episode of The Notice, what does the Bible mean when it says, do not judge? And is there a difference between judgment and observation? Join me as I talk with Julie Eichenroth, Executive Director of Freedom Fire Ministries Grand Travers. Julie is passionate about helping others understand how judgments can infiltrate our thinking and cause us pain in our relationships. So join us as we discuss how to take notice of God and enhance our relationship with others as we understand judgments as God intended. Well, we've had Julie here before, and I'm glad she's here again. She's the founder and executive director of Freedom Farm Ministries Grand Traverse, a faith-based therapeutic farm employing permaculture gardening, equine-assisted experiential learning, hard skills coaching, and workshops to nurture women and help them heal and grow right here on our 14-acre Maple Ridge property. 25 years ago, through therapy and learning to think like a grown-up, she recovered from suicidal depression and now coaches others in the skills of the heart. Breaking the pain and power of toxic judgments and how to achieve healthy relationships and biblical conflict resolution. She's a passionate teacher and speaker. She loves to share what healthy Christianity looks like and how to manage love and hope in these intense times. She's especially passionate about this book, How to Stop the Pain by James Richards, and how toxic judgments can alter our worldview. So Julie, I'm so happy to have you back. Woohoo, I'm glad to be back. Thank you for inviting me, Susan. And we finally get to talk about how to stop the pain. Our yes. favorite, uh, one of our favorite topics. I know, when I first met you, that's how we connected was this book. Yeah, that's why I, I just went on and on and on about it. And <laughs> Yeah, so tell me a little bit how you got connected with this book anyway. Well, um, two gals at my church taught a small group study. This was years ago. I was probably in my 40s by then. I'm 62 now. And it was a knock your socks off bombshell book. It absolutely blew my world apart in a good way. And I changed so much from the principles that the book taught because they're deeply biblical principles. Before then, I had really not had a clue just how relational the Word of God was and how healthy Mm -hmm. these principles are for relationship and managing our own hearts and all of that and dealing with pain and depression and all of that. The Bible became a relational book to me instead of a religious doctrinal book. Mm. Understanding that that's the, quite a shift. <laughs> understanding that the central doctrine of Christianity is relationship, is love. And until you start to view the word through that grid, you don't really get what Christianity is. You get religion, but you don't get the heart of God. And so that book took me to a whole nother level. And 
I said, I'm going to teach this book till I kick the bucket before <laughs> Jesus comes back, you know. Well, here you go. Well, I know when I started reading the book, I how to stop the pain sounds like, well, what what pain is he talking about? You know, I was like curious, but then it's really, it's really about judgment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we can stop some of the pain that we have in our lives by stopping judgment. Just like, you know, that Bob Newhart video that says, <laughs> stop it. Yeah, stop you it. Know, just stop it, just right? Stop it. <laughs> but, you know, the world defines judgment in a different way. What what do you think? How do, how do you think our world defines judgment? Well, this is a huge topic, isn't it? You know, um, the subtitle of the book is, Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Mm. And so we're going to have pain in our lives, but the judgments that we attach, in other words, the stories or narratives, the stories in our head, the narratives we attach to our wounds and our life experiences becomes the grid at which we look through which we look at life. And it becomes a source of added unnecessary pain. Let's put it that way. So I, re- I experienced the first-hand impact of judgments on my life. This is why I'm passionate about it. And learned what it took for me to break free of this destructive, kind of soul-destroying effects. And now I get to help other people. So when we're considering how our world defines judgment, I think when most people talk about judging or feeling judged, which it's, it, let's, let's be honest, feeling judged is like one of the most sickening feelings in the world, yeah. right? We say, don't judge me, or who are you to judge me when you fill in the blank, right? We're referring to feeling judged or warning others not to judge, but we don't think of ourselves as just judgmental necessarily. Right. Okay, so unfortunately, most people, Christians included, don't have any real understanding of the nature and the terrible impact of judgments, what the Bible actually has to say about it, how to avoid this seductive trap, that's what I call it, the seductive trap of judgments, and how to recover from our habit or addiction to judgments. Addiction? Hmm. Addiction, yeah. So what does the Bible mean when it says, do not judge? That word, or that phrase, do not judge, actually, uh, the whole phrase is, do not judge lest you be judged. And that comes from Matthew 7, verse 1. But this is only part of a passage about judgments. And it's got to be one of the most misunderstood, misquoted, misinterpreted, and misapplied statements in Scripture. Tell me more. Right? (laughs) So let's be precise when we're talking about judging and judgments. The word judge in the Greek, one of the main definitions, means to try, condemn, and punish. Okay? So this helped me. Think of a courtroom scene. Mm -hmm. Right? You've got... You've got a judge, you've got a prosecuting attorney, a defense attorney, you've got a defendant, you've got a plaintiff, you've got a jury, and you've got uh, a bailiff or, or, you know, um, officers of the court who take you to jail. They execute judgment or punishment, right? So in that aspect, try, condemn, and punish, we're talking about judgments as sinful, toxic judgments, okay? As opposed to the righteous judgments that come from God right? And from his wisdom. Now, the word to judge also means to think, to decide, to weigh, to assess, form a conclusion or an opinion about. Mm -hmm. So to judge is essentially a function of the way God designed our brains and our hearts. It's connected to our free will. Each human being is created in God's image 
and we are endowed with the same free will he has. And an essential element of free will is that we have the freedom to choose our own perceptions mm, about things, good. right? But we are also responsible for our perceptions that we choose. So we can choose our own perceptions or we can choose to come into to agreement with God about his perceptions. Ask him, what do you think about this? How do you see this, right? And do, we, do the, our perceptions agree with his word? Or are they drawn from that other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We get to choose. But then we also bear the consequences of our choices. So let me just dive into this just a little bit mm-hmm. further. Because we don't get to judge freely without consequences. Okay, so the main verse I just referred to is Matthew 7, 1 which is part of the context of a discussion on judgments that Jesus did. And the passage is really verses 1 through 5. So do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank or the board in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, what I love about that passage, there's a related passage in Luke 6, 37 through 42, and he says similar things, do not judge and you will not be judged, do not condemn, you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Pressed a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured or heaped into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he repeats the thing about the log and the splinter, the speck of sawdust and the the plank and that kind of thing. And seeing clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So how many times have you heard that part of the verse, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men heap or pour into your bosom, in the context of teaching about financial sowing, giving Mm -hmm. and receiving? right? But you just heard me read that in context. That passage, there is a a scriptural principle of sowing and reaping, which can include our giving. But in this context, the whole discussion is about judgments, sowing judgments. And so what Jim Richards says in the book, and this is true, what we give to others relationally is what they heap back to us. So, you know, that, that scripture is probably as misquoted as the do not judge scripture, the pressed down, shaken together, mm-hmm. running over. And he's just telling you that if you're going to engage in that dynamic of judging other people, you're going to expect to receive it back. And the other thing is, I thought my whole life that that scripture, do not judge lest you be judged, meant that God was going to judge me. Mm-hmm. But the context is not God, it's people. Mm-hmm. People will heap back judgment to us. God taught me years ago, Julie, I never ju- judge that which is not done growing yet. Okay? There's a growth process to everything. He does discipline us. He corrects us. He chastens us in our life. But he doesn't judge us until the very end of our life because he knows that he's working to help us grow. Mm-hmm. Right? And when you judge something, basically everything else stops and the only thing left is punishment. But what is judging? I mean, is there difference? I mean, it, is judgment putting like a moral condemnation on somebody? Or is there 
a part of judgment that's just like observing. Well, yes, there, yes, there is. The, remember when I said the word judge means to try, condemn, and punish. So if you think about that courtroom scene, you put it, if you're judging someone, or they're judging you, you're sort of putting them on trial in your mind. This all can happen in a split second, because we judge like breathing, right? Right. You judge well, them? Well, some of us do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, I did. I judged my way into suicidal depression. But um, if you judge, you, you're putting a person kind of on trial. You're deciding if they're um, innocent or guilty. We can actually misjudge someone as innocent when we really don't have, we don't really know whether they're innocent mm -hmm. or not. We're making it, oh, they have a good heart. You know, we've made the determination. And there is a way to avoid this trap, and I'll tell you what that means later on. But if you're talking about the difference between judgment and observation, like this is where God taught me to learn to observe rather than judge. So what does that mean? First of all, judgment assumes heart motive. Okay? Say Obs that again, Julie. <laughs> judgment assumes heart motive. And observation withholds judgment about heart motives while taking time to look for fruit. Now, fruit is the Bible language, um, the Bible word for what Jim Richards and How to Stop the Pain calls track record. Mm -hmm. Right? We know people by what they do, not just in the moment, but over time, consistently. Mm, that's that's right? Good. So fruit develops over time. Uh, Jesus said we know people by their fruit. The Bible teaches in Genesis 1 that all fruit bears after its own kind. Mm -hmm. All fruit starts from a seed and grows and develops over time into what its essential DNA dictates it should be, right? We see this important principle in nature everywhere, which is why I love working on the farm and teaching people how to garden and work with horses because all those themes come out all the time. But we also see that this is a spiritual principle in anything that grows, including our thoughts, our actions, and our character, right? When I finally understood this principle about seed and growth and fruit bearing after its own kind, it changed my life and the way I approach things. So, um, you know, the motive issue is we are not called to discern anyone's motive for doing anything. Because what it does then is put us in a position of, well, if you've got a good enough motive, what you did is just fine. Right. right. I can't challenge it. If I meant well. And we, we give people that judgment. Oh, they meant well. I don't know whether they meant well or not. They could tell me they meant well. But really, everyone's motive is between them and God. Right. It's none of my business. What is my business and what I am allowed to do? You know, I, I, uh, I have a dear friend who told me this years ago, Julie, and I'm paraphrasing now, but I never forgot this principle she taught me. And she said, when we assume to climb into another person's heart and look around and decide what their motive is for anything, that's trespassing. Mm. Mm. We're in forbidden territory. Mm. God is the Guess only... Guess we need to put up some signs, That's huh? right. No trespassing, because that's God's purview. God is the only one who's wise enough to weigh all the factors, emotional, relational, what kind of family you grew up in, what your life wounds were, and why you do anything. It's none of my business why anyone does anything. What I'm to do is respond to what they say and do. Do you have a, an example maybe you could give us on what trespassing looks like? Well, 
this is, I'll give you a little tip. This is what helped me. As I became sensitized to this issue, um, and it's really kind of comical when I, because it happened to me and it happens often to my clients, the people that I walk along with and help them understand these principles, is that when we become sensitized to the judgment issue, we are suddenly seeing judgment everywhere. Mm -hmm. right we see it oh and they, that person oh they're judging and oh look I see judgment in gossip columns and in politics and everything and then usually what happens we start going oh I'm judging all the time and that's really dismaying right it's it's shocking to us when we become sensitized to this and actually realize what constitutes judgment how much we do it like breathing and we begin to see the dynamics in our own relationships in our own life that's causing a lot of the dysfunction and pain and loss that judgments create so what helped me was when god showed me this i would hear myself say in a conversation with a friend and we might be discussing a situation with someone else right and i would hear myself say well she did this because and he would just pull me up short Mm -hmm. And I would go, I would, I trained myself to say out loud, you know what? I really don't know why so she it's said about what the she why said then. or did. It's always about the why. Because why addresses motives. It addresses motives. And really, here's the thing that's one of the things that's seductive about judgments is we think the answering the why fixes everything. We think it, that God-like knowledge of why is going to undo the pain, undo the incident that happened. It's going to fix everything. It doesn't. If, if, you, if you wound me and you say, but I didn't mean to, well, it might mitigate it a little bit because we do hurt each other inadvertently. We, we do say things and make mistakes. But that tends to then send us off into a different direction rather than just deal with the offense directly. We, but we get used to making excuses for things. And if you can give me a good enough excuse for why you just did the awful thing you did, now I'm kind of, you know, it's like that shuts down the discussion, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really, it doesn't really bring the reconciliation and peacemaking that, that the scripture teaches us to make, which is to go and show your brother their fault or go and make it right. If you're the one who offended, you're taking responsibility, right? You're asking forgiveness, giving and receiving forgiveness. If you are trying to answer the why, it takes you off the healing path and puts you into the cycle of judgments. And the reality is we don't know why. I don't know why. I, I, I can speak for myself. I don't know why my husband does certain things that he does. Mm -hmm. I don't know why my friends do certain things that are not. I don't even know why I do some of the things I do, even though I supposedly know my own motives. Well, Sometimes does it, does, I don't know. Does, it, does knowing help? Not really. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you go, well, I'm doing this because... But that's my why between me and God. And God will deal with me about my why. But God's not dealing with me about your why. Mm -hmm. He's dealing with that why. Person. No, and what it does is it gets me off track. Instead of saying, okay, I can say to you, or someone could say to me, Julie, what you said hurt me. And instead of giving my excuse... Maybe what I say, and this took me a long time to get to because it's a scary question, is how did you experience me in that moment? Or tell me more about how what I said hurt you. 
and opening your heart in a vulnerable way to allowing that person to give feedback to you as to how you hurt them so that you can both be reconciled and grow in love together. And this is what I think he gets at in the book, and that's what changed my life, too. And I should say still changing because I'm still growing. Me, too. Is the motives, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to figure out why somebody does what they do. Exactly. It's exhausting. It t- it's and and when you say how to stop the pain and you know you think of the Bob Newhart, just stop it. It's <laughs> like that's takes a lot of my headspace. What do I? Why do I need to be focusing on that? And it's really a futile exercise because the Bible talks about vain imaginations and base suspicions or vain speculations that's what judgments are Mm -hmm. and though the bible says that those vain imaginations and base suspicions and vain speculations are actually exalting themselves against the knowledge of god Mm -hmm. They, they they create a stronghold in our minds that opposes God and does not allow room for him to give us his wisdom so that love and grace can flow in relationships. When you're either going, if you're going to insist on your right to judge, then you are putting yourself under the curse and the power of the law and grace cannot flow to you. God says, if you are going to judge another person, you better be ready to be doing everything perfectly in your life right? Because it's either grace and mercy or it's judgment and punishment. Grace and judgment cannot coexist in the same space. They cancel each other out. I will say that grace is more powerful than judgment, but you have to let let it in. But if you're going to live out of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're going to take a godlike place over other people's lives, judging their motives and exacting punishment from them, then you can expect the same for yourself. But that's not to say we can't make observations. Absolutely. Like I can observe that somebody, let's say in a car accident, I can mm-hmm. observe that this person ran into my rear mm-hmm. end. Okay, That's a fact. That's, that's a fact. That's an right. observation. Now, mm-hmm. why he did, I don't know. Right. Right? So why, why do we have to rush to the why? You know, that's the thing that Jim Richards talks about. He talks about data, you know, like what is observable data, mm-hmm. okay? So observable data is someone plowed into my car. Now, we might be able to look around and go, well, maybe I wasn't looking and I pulled out into the intersection. Or maybe, who, who knows what their why was? Maybe they're looking at their phone or something. Could That could be an observable fact, right, if they would admit mm-hmm. to it, right? But to... To go into the forbidden territory of judging the motive, that's not even necessary. I could just say, hey, you plowed into my car, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and, that, and th- when Jim Richards talks about track record, uh, what is this rush to have this godlike knowledge instantly, right? We don't want to take time to observe over time what other people's track records are. So some, say if I just meet somebody new. And they can come up and shake my hand confidently and they're all that and a peanut butter sandwich, right? And they're telling me their their resume about their life. I might be impressed by their charisma or how articulate they are or how they dress or how they present themselves. But I'm going to, I've learned to withhold judgment. I can go, well, they're impressive, but I'm going to watch them for a time. I'm not suspiciously, but just watch what they do. You mean observe? Observe and watch over time and collect data because you know what? Everybody can have a bad day and we're all a mixed bag, 
We're all learning, we're all growing, we're making mistakes. But I'm telling you what, it's a lot easier to enjoy people and enjoy your relationships if you give them room and space to grow, well, as well as you expecting that and hoping for well, that yourself. Think about a review you have at work. If you were only judged on one, let's say one mistake you made, okay, you wouldn't have a job, mm-hmm. right? Right. So you're observed on a whole period of time, mm-hmm. like you said, track record, mm-hmm. and how freeing it is to be in relationship with someone mm-hmm. who who operates under that. Mm-hmm. I feel that way with you here on the farm. There's 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 that there's not that judgment. It's like track record and benefit of the doubt, and you there's a freedom that comes in that mm-hmm. relationship when you're not thinking the worst of someone mm-hmm. or that they're mm-hmm. out to get you or they're, you're, mm-hmm. you're su- um, suspicious of their motives. Right. Well, and the thing is, if, I'm, if I meet you and I make a snap decision about who you are, my judgment freezes you in that moment in my mind. Now I have created a narrative or a story about you. Now I that I, could turn into a bias. It, it could very well turn into a bias or a whole narrative about who you are. Mm-hmm. But guess what? You could go on and continue growing and changing. And a year from now, you could have taken leaps and bounds in your growth, and you could be a different person altogether. And I meet you, and my first response is responding to this narrative in my head with suspicion or nervousness or whatever it is because I judged you in that moment. I didn't give you freedom to grow in my mind, Mm -hmm. even though you might have gone on and grown. I froze you in my mind with that narrative. And so I love that this whole, this whole thing is all about how we grow and how we give grace to one another to grow. And it's not that we don't deal with the realities of offense and our, our sins against each other, against God and against ourselves, but this whole judgment teaching teaches us how to respond properly to life in a way that what I call it builds wisdom tools. Right now, when I assess my life or any situation in my life, the first thing I ask myself before I go to judging the other person, I might be stinging from something somebody said, right? But I'm teaching myself and and training myself to say, what can I take responsibility for? What's mine? What's not mine? The old plank in your eye. Right? What's mine? And and he says in the, not he, but Jesus said in that passage about the log and splinter principle, he says that that, um, when we have a log in our own eye and we're trying to, how how would you like to have somebody reaching to grab something out of your eye and they're blind? Mm -hmm. He talks about the blind leading the blind, Right. right, in that passage. But he says, if you will deal with your own plank, then you can, what, see clearly Mm -hmm. enough to help the other person. Mm -hmm. But if you're blind and you think you're helping somebody by grabbing at their eye to get that thing out of their eye, you're going to do more damage than you are going to help. And so the best place to start is to start with ourselves, asking the Holy Spirit, what you know, is there anything I can take responsibility for, Lord? That brings you to a place of humility. It keeps your heart open. It keeps your heart open to the other person. You're not, and judgments tend to, what they do is they distort the lens that we look at life through. What they do is they magnify or minimize things so that we don't see clearly. And you ever think about Jesus and how he, it says numerous times in the Gospels, he perceived their thoughts. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's like he saw into their hearts. I believe, you know, that he said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, what? See God. I believe that we see God more clearly when our hearts are free of toxic, sinful judgments. Because now we're not distorting how we see God. Okay, so now you're talking my language, Julie, because you know this is this podcast is about, about noticing, noticing, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you're talking about noticing taking time to notice something else instead of other people's motives. Mm-hmm. I mean that think of how much more time we're going to have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you think what other things you said taking notice of ourselves and and different things. Are there other things that you think God is asking us to take notice of instead of judging? Well, I think he wants us to take notice of how powerful and mighty and life-changing grace is. And now I, I know that there's a lot of discussion in the body of Christ now about grace, like, you know, sloppy grace and all of that kind of thing. But if you read the scriptures, the grace of God, the language about grace, my husband and I are reading in Romans right now in our small group on Wednesdays, our women's group at your house is is reading Romans. It is just flooded with language that's gracious Mm -hmm. and how God made a way for us to come to him through his grace and mercy. He was gracious to us before we ever deserved it, if we ever deserved it. And so he... When, when you stop judging, you can actually observe him at work in mm-hmm. other people's lives, in your life. You get to partner with him. It's exciting. Um, I actually enjoy people a lot more now because I'm not judging them so much for how different they are from me, but I'm learning from their differences. I call mm-hmm. it texture, mm-hmm. right? There's all this texture in the body of Christ. And we're so used to kind of having this narrow slice or narrow lens that we look at life through about what makes a Christian. And yet, if you look in the scriptures, there's a lot of different kinds of people that represented God in the scriptures, in the, both the Old and the New Testament. Very unusual characters, people who were a mess, mm-hmm. people who were screwed up royally. I mean, just look at David, you know, and um, Adam and Eve, and, you know, all these people that really made huge mistakes. But there was constant offer of grace by God. But if you think the only way you can come to God is by having this God-like knowledge. I mean, when I started working with people, I was actually really scared because I thought I thought I was supposed to know what was in people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, Lord, how do I know? And the Lord just said, Julie, you don't have to know what's in their hearts. Just observe them. Listen mm-hmm. to what they're saying. Observe them. And then I began to notice that the similar things were happening, similar themes were happening in everyone's life. How they responded to wounds the stories they attach to their wounds, um, the self-protective things they do, the controlling things they do, the things they do to violate boundaries or not have any boundaries. Those were all basic themes that are right in the scriptures. I could deal with that, and it was mm-hmm. such a huge relief mm-hmm. to not have that responsibility to know what we have this godlike knowledge of what was in people's hearts. And the cool thing is we get to partner with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God right? And the body of Christ, which I know people have a lot of stuff to say about the church these days and how we are falling down and, you know, not representing Christ well. But for some reason, some odd reason, God chose to represent his son and himself, the Trinity, through 
fallible, imperfect people. And we have to grow up as a body of Christ. You know, the scripture say, says in uh, Hebrews 5, 13, and 14, anyone who lives on milk still being an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about or practice of righteousness, but solid food is for the mature. I love this part. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. If we will forsake judgments, God will teach us his way of discerning what is good and evil. Because if we're feeding off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I could get up one day and go, I'm 10 pounds overweight, that's evil. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm evil, right? Mm -hmm. We're making decisions and laws for ourselves that we think we have to follow, other people have to follow, God has to follow, that are totally outside of what the Word of God tells us to do, right? So we, we don't know how to sort that mess out, but the Holy Spirit is our partner. He's both our counselor and comforter, and we have the Word yeah. of God, and we can help each other grow. And I, I think one of the things that impacted me after reading this book was that mercy triumphs over judgment. Absolutely. And that if you look at, if you stop looking, noticing, and judging people from a perspective of punishment, right? Because mm -hmm. mercy removes punishment, right? And you start looking at them through the lens of mercy, then all of a sudden you start realizing, well, I don't need to punish them. It's not my job to punish them. Yeah. I don't have to punish them. And guess what? I don't have to punish myself. Because when we talk about judging, aren't we also talking about judging ourselves and the narratives we put on ourselves? Absolutely. And the way that we punish ourselves? Absolutely. And what does God say? You know, that, that scripture passage that I mentioned about by the same measure, you will, it will be measured to you. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, right? By another another um, translation says, by the standard you use, it'll be measured to you, right? So there's a standard. What is what is God's standard of judgment? What is God's standard that He applies? Well, if you look at that, that's Luke thirty, Luke six, I think thirty seven or thirty eight. If you back up just a little bit, the scripture says, "But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back." Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because, and here's the standard, He is kind to wicked and ungrateful men. So the standard, God's standard, is mercy. Mm -hmm. His standard is higher than ours. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God is looking for mercy. He's not looking. God somehow has figured out how to extend mercy and grace and still not devalue holiness. Mm -hmm. Right? He's not lowering it's his standards. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> mind-blowing, actually, and, and none of us could do that. But he is saying, and I thought, if he is kind and, and merciful to wicked and ungrateful men, how much more will he be merciful to me right. when I want to follow right. him? I'm trying to follow him. I'm not wicked. Mm -hmm. I might have wicked moments, but I'm committed my life to Christ. But, you know, and I'm, and I'm certainly grateful for what he's done. But God's standard, when you're looking at the Luke scripture, when it's talking about do not judge and, and um, by the standard you measure, it'll be measured back to you. God's standard is mercy. It's mm -hmm. always mercy. 
and let him deal with punishing people. That's not to say we shouldn't have boundaries or that we can't speak truth in love or that we can't, can't even give observe. A, observe or give Correct a godly data. rebuke to someone. When we give a godly rebuke, Jim Richards brings out in the book that a rebuke means to set a value on something. So you're actually telling a person the impact of their actions on you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not telling them you're a wicked person with evil motives. You're not attacking their character. I'm not attacking their character or judging their motives. I'm simply saying what you did was hurtful. That's mm-hmm. my job. I go and show them their fault. In other words, not being nitpicky or criticizing, but just to give them a reflection back of the impact of their actions or words on me, just like they could do with me, right? And that's how, and that we do that for one another because the goal is forgiveness, reconciliation, and the deepening of love and understanding between people. But if we just judge people, after judgment, there's nothing but punishment, right? So if I judge my, my pastor who didn't speak to me for some reason in the you know, hallway after church and I'm walking around grumbling because I've made up a story that, well, he thinks I'm stupid or he, wow, he thinks he's better than me. Now I'm not seeing him. I'm hearing, I'm seeing him through the story in my head. So how do I treat him the next time I see him? I might withdraw my heart a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, that try, condemn, and punish. How do we punish people in relationships? We could punish them physically. We could pound on them. You know, we could be mm-hmm. brutal. But mostly the way we punish people is we abandon the relationship. We withdraw mm-hmm. our hearts. Mm-hmm. And the Bible calls that cold love. We smile and lie, but we've withdrawn our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of back to Bob Newhart. And I would just want to say, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Right? Stop it. And essentially, James Richards is saying... Stop it, right? Yeah. This is how you stop Just it, creating folks. so much pain You for stop the pain mm-hmm. when you stop judging. Right. So you're going to be doing a class on this. I am. For those listening, you can be part of that. It's here on the property at Maple Ridge Place. It begins January 31st. Mm-hmm. Can you tell our listeners a little bit what they can expect from if they take the class and how they yep. can get connected? I sure can. Um, yes, we're starting January 31st. It's Tuesday evenings from 6.30 to 8 p.m here at Maple Ridge Place. It'll be up in our apartment. Um, in the upper at, room. In the upper room at Freedom Farm at Maple Ridge Place. And um, we have uh, room for 10 or 12 folks to come and be in this intimate small group setting. Um, we will spend like the first, the book has 35 chapters and I'll just say. But they're short. They're short and punchy. Yeah. But I don't, I have learned, I don't actually go through every chapter of the book. In the 12 week course, and I've had people who actually had me do a second round and we went through more of the book, but the main principles are um, shared in the first 12 to 15 chapters. So we go over those really powerful principles. We talk about how to apply them in our lives, what judgments look like, what they feel like, how they operate how they operate relationally, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And then about chapter five, which is called Observers, Not Judges, Mm -hmm. um, when it talks about Adam and Eve, I pause for about three weeks and I teach out of Genesis chapters one, two, and three, because Mm -hmm. those three chapters wasn't there a tree? Knocked my socks off. Well, those three chapters teach you so much about principles that, are applicable to the whole of your life. Um, 
principles about growth and about identity and about communication and um, about fruit bearing, right? And the two trees and the three triunes and um, Adam and Eve's story is our story, right? And that is really, really powerful. Those three chapters, when God showed me those themes changed my life also because I be I don't know why we don't teach them. I mean, I, I imagine people do teach certain aspects of those three chapters, but there are powerful themes in the three chapters of Genesis, the first three chapters, that really give you a lens of understanding God and yourself and how to manage yourself and how judgments work and how to avoid the seductive trap of judgments and how... Satan really judgments are his primary way of seducing us into sin because we mm-hmm. we all day every day we make judgments about what we see and that's the way God created us mm-hmm. but God's saying I want to I want to teach you how to do that with wisdom so that you're not falling into that trap and then creating disconnection in your relationships and more pain besides just the regular pain that wounds of life give us. We create cycles of torment and loss with our addiction to judgments. So how can we get in touch with you so that our listeners can take this class? Well, you can go to um, our Freedom Farm Grand Traverse Ministries Facebook page. You can go to Heart Skills Coaching. You can, that's a Facebook page mm-hmm. also. You can go to our website, which is www.freedomfarmgt.org. And all of those will have information on the, the um, class. The class is uh, very affordable. It's $10 a week, or if you pay for the whole 12 weeks, you save $20. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have uh, financial concerns, please contact me and let me know because I never want someone to not be able to take a class because it's a stretch for them financially because we trust God for our provision mm-hmm. in all things. And then um, I'm going to have you share your email or phone number with me so that I can get you directions to the farm and get you going. Now, I'm going to just tell you listeners... Um, I want you to stop everything else you're doing. (laughs) Stop everything else you're doing and take this class. To live a judgment-free lifestyle, there's so much freedom. So much freedom. So, Julie, thanks for being here today and for talking about this. And I can't wait to hear how everything goes with the class. So, Me too, Susan. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you. I've only been in a court of law maybe twice in my lifetime. What disturbed me the most about that experience was, well, the judge. How could this one individual interpret my character based on just a few minutes of interaction? I'll tell you, it made me extremely uncomfortable and, frankly, didn't seem fair. This conversation with Julie made me wonder about how many times I might have put others on trial. I might have had good intentions, you know, maybe to instruct, inspire, or give advice, but could expressing my opinions actually make others feel on trial? And who am I to make those decisions for them? I wonder what it would be like if I view relationships in the light of mercy instead of judgment. Friends, this means that on any given day, others can fail us and we can fail them. So I think perhaps examining default narratives in our head 
will help us reach a new level of relational richness based on mercy. So if you struggle in this area, please, friends, take the time to take the study or at least get the book. I can't wait to hear about how God has helped you take notice. Until next time, take notice. Oh